brother, whichever brethren is going to be running the computer, I wrote scriptures on the back of that paper to try to help you out. Thank you. I have a lot um, of, I think it's a lot. It may not be a lot. Mark chapter 4. You can remain seated. At home, you can remain seated. Just your comfortable couch there. Mark 4, 24 and verse 25. I'm in the King James Version. I know Bert Sector likes to jump around and use all these. You did an excellent job, by the way. Excellent job. I was disappointed he has not sung any of his messages yet, but I'm waiting for that day. Verse 24 reads, And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath not, or I'm sorry, I'm just feeling it and throwing in words. For he that hath, to him shall be given. Here we go. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So this morning... I am going to talk a little bit about the measure by which we live. The measure by which we live. So if you could, close your eyes, bow your head, and pray with me over the word this morning. God, I thank you for every church family member, those who are here in body and those who are here in spirit but at home. God, I ask that you would touch, touch your vessel. God, I am nothing without you. And God, I can't do this without you. I need you to speak through me today, God, what you have given me to study, what you have revealed to me. If it is your will for me to bring it forward, I'm asking, Lord, that you would touch my mind to remember those things and to do it in an adequate way where your people can understand. And God, I ask that you would touch every heart that is not used to this, those who are visitors that may be tuning in. God, I ask that your spirit would go forth through the word and that you would minister, that you would touch, that you would answer questions that your people might have and that you would continue to draw us closer to you. I give you all the glory in advance for what you're going to do. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to say on behalf of my family, hello to my grandmother if she's watching. Hello, grandmother. And hopefully, uh, hopefully the other family members are watching too. Everybody says hello. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 20, 
4 through 25. Scripture is saying that you have to take heed what you hear because with what measure you meet, it's going to be measured to you. If we start back in verse 22 just to give a little bit more information, we're actually going to go back to the beginning of Mark. And so you don't necessarily have to follow along, Brother, uh, Brother Andrew, unless you want to, but I'm just going to kind of just talk a little bit through that chapter to get us to the context of where this scripture is at. But verse 22 reads, For there is nothing hid. There is nothing that is concealed. There's nothing that is private which shall not be manifested, shall not be showed, made apparent. Neither was anything secret but that it should come abroad. If any, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is speaking here. He's doing some teaching. And so he's telling them, if you have ears to hear, hear. And he said unto them, take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. So the key words, obviously, in the scripture this morning is measure. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And a measure simply breaks down to mean a standard of measurement. You use a standard to compare something to. In order to a certain dimensions, capacity, to determine the extent of something, you have to have a baseline to measure it according to. Meet simply means to distribute or a portion by measure. And when we look at the word meat and you break that down in the Greek, the Greek word encompasses the English words ye meet. So take heed what ye hear. Pay attention to what comes to your ears, what you are in the audience of. Understand what you hear, the noise that comes to your ears, the things that are declared in your hearing. Because with what measure ye meet, it's not talking about God meeting out the measure. The first step comes from us. Pay attention, understand what you hear, with what measure you meet, what measure you distribute, you will portion out 
it shall be measured to you. It goes on in verse 25 and it says, for he that hath, for he that possesses, for he that has the ability to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. If we go back to the beginning of Mark, try to remember those definitions in your mind. Because when we go back to the beginning of Mark, it really puts everything into context. At the beginning of Mark, we see that Jesus is beginning to teach as was his custom. He would travel and he would teach and multitudes would flock to him. So Jesus begins to teach by the seaside. And the scripture says that a multitude gathered unto him. And in verse 2, it says, and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. The scripture goes on to detail the parable of the sower. Take heed what you hear. The seed in the parable of the sower is the word of God. The teachings, the sayings of the word of God. So he taught them many things by parables. The scripture gives us clarification and then it confirms it in detailing the parable of the sower. Jesus begins to Give them a parable, teaching his doctrine. We're not going to go through the parable of the sower, but it's just understanding of he's giving them a parable. And the parable that he's teaching is the parable of the sower. He goes on and he finishes giving out this parable, understanding by verse 10, he has not given the explanation of the parable of the sower. So in verse 10, the scripture says, and when he was alone, when he was separate, they that were about him with the 12 asked of him the parable. So he just laid out the parable of the sower to the multitude. But he did not explain the details until he went and pulled himself aside alone, separate from the multitude. And to the people that were there, a few had pulled from the multitude alongside the disciples and it was to that smaller group from the multitude that Jesus began to break down what he meant in the parable of the sower. Verse 11 through 12 reads, 
And he said unto them, the smaller group, the ones that had pulled aside when he went alone alongside the 12, he's speaking to them. He said unto them, unto you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Unto you, it is granted. Unto you, it is shown. It is committed to be sure, to understand the very secrets of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, the multitude, the majority that stayed aside and did not come when Jesus pulled apart and pulled away separate. Unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. They are in the category of those that hath not, from them shall be taken even that which they have. He pulls aside this, he pulls aside in a smaller group from the multitude follows alongside the 12. The scripture says that those that are without, all those things were done in parables. They did not get the further break down an explanation of what he meant with the parable of the sower. It wasn't revealed to them. And when we look at that word, that are without, I tried to look up without, but it doesn't break down like that. It's that are without. It means out, outside, outside of doors. If we would knock, the door would be open. Some people are not even willing to knock. Divert your attention to Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. This is Luke's account of Matthew 7, 21 and 22, which we will hit later on. But Luke 13 Verse 24 says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without Unto them that are without, 
outside of the doors. They'll begin to knock when the master has risen up and say, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he'll answer and say, I know you not whence ye are. Then they'll begin to say, we have eaten and we have drunk in your presence. You've taught in our streets. I was part of the multitude. I heard your teachings. But you were without. You didn't go beyond that. You didn't try to understand. You didn't go deeper and pull away from the crowd. There are people who are searching, and there are people even of this truth. And they want revelation, but they want to get it by sitting on the fringes of a crowd, doing what everybody else is doing. And they wonder why God won't talk to them. God won't give them direction. Intimacy comes with a price. There's a separation that has to take place if God is going to give you more, give you beyond than just a parable. In verse 33 and back in Mark, Mark 4, 33, Scripture reads, and with many, he goes on. We see that it was the multitude at first. They heard the parable of the sower. Then he pulls aside alone, and there's a group that follows him that's smaller. And it's a smaller group from the multitude but it's with the 12 disciples and he breaks down the parable of the sower. But to that smaller group, he goes beyond that and he begins to give even more parables. And now we're at verse 33 and the scriptures read, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them, the smaller group with the disciples, as they were able, as it was possible for them to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. He did not speak to them without using a parable. And the scripture says even further, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So we have the multitude, then we have a group that pulls from the multitude alongside the disciples. They get some revelation. They get some understanding. But then there's an even smaller group the 12, who pull, us, pull alongside Jesus when he separates himself again. He is in a private place. He has pulled aside, and it's just him and the 12, and he begins to expound. He begins to explain things further, not just one parable, not just two, all things, everything. He was thorough in what he 
explained to his disciples. It may not be the popular thing to do, but we have to get to a place individuals first and then as a church body where we are willing to take the extra step, the extra steps is going to cost us something. It may cost us popularity and words of affirmation from everybody else, but that price is worth the revelation from God of what's to come and what he has in store for us and his will that is to unfold for our lives. We have to be willing to pay that price. It is in the midst of all this that Jesus said, Take heed what ye hear. Everything that I'm telling you, pay attention. Understand. There are three categories of people that heard him that day, but not all of them understood what he was saying. Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you. I would submit to you that there are those who say that they know God, but they don't. What a shame to know of him, but not to know him. In Matthew 26 and verse 48 just another example. Matthew 26, verse 48. This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know he's pulled aside some of his disciples to pray with him. And they fall asleep. They had the itis after eating the Passover. And... And here comes Judas. Oh, Judas. Nobody should ever name their kid Judas. Could you imagine a kid growing up and be like, oh, Judas is getting bigger? That would be horrible. The scripture reads, now this is Judas. He's coming, right? He's got, he's got people with him. And the scripture says, now he that betrayed him, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. The them was referring to the multitude with Jesus. It's a great multitude. Chief priests, elders of the people. Look at verse 55. Jesus comes out, you know, he's like, oh, you're going to take me. Go ahead, do what you got to do. Because he had already died out to his will. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, the multitudes that came out to take him, 
Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you. I sat daily amongst you. I sat daily about you, between you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. They were around Jesus. They heard the words that he spoke. They sat in service, if you will. They heard the preaching. They heard the teaching. And they didn't even know who he was. Judas still had to tell them, the person that I kiss, that's the one. And they were around him the whole time. God forbid in this day and age, that it would come to a point when our season of life is over. And God say, I mean, you you were in the congregation. You had the teachings. You watched by live stream and YouTube, but you didn't even know me. You see, there are measures that the world has for people to live by. The Bible says to take heed what ye hear. The word, the teachings, the scriptures, this doctrine coming from this book should be the measure by which you and I Live our lives. But the world will tell you that all you have to do is just be good. Be a good Christian. That's the measure that you should live by. Some people in our world, the measure for them is science. With everything that's going on right now, their measure is the experts and what their research has revealed to them. For some people, their measure by which they live by is the affirmation of their family members, parents, loved ones. Unfortunately for some, that measure is their kids. For some, their measure by which they live by is their careers and finances, and having everything together financially. For some, the measure is possessions. This is what I have, and it's everything to them. It's position for others. But those measures are going to fail. Those measures are unstable. But the measure of the Word of God It's stable. It's unchanging. It never fails. It holds true from the beginning of time until eternity. And that's the measure by which you and I should live our lives by. Something that you can hold on to when there are storms, when there are questions, when there's confusion. The measure of the word of God is what I will stand on. 
There is no excuse for having any other measure In Luke 21, Luke 21, verse 6 through 19. I'm not going to read through it, but I'm going to give you a reference if you want to read this yourself because... The more I read the word of God, the more I pray. You see, you have to have those two things together. You can't know God without his word. It doesn't work like that. The more I love it, there's such revelation in the word of God. There's such truth in there. How God could be so sovereign and all-knowing that he would put things in this world that we are seeing come manifest into our lives in this day, in this age, right now. What other God can do that? There is no other God that can do that. And he would love you and I enough to put it in a book so that we would have it on hand and some of us don't even take advantage of that. It's got to be everything to you. It can't just sit on a table somewhere and collect dust. It can't just stay in your phone and you pull it out when you're here in church and you need to look up something real quick. It's got to be everything to you. Jesus is telling his disciples, you can't be deceived in Luke 21, verse 6 through 19. There are going to be wars. There's going to be commotions. Don't be terrified by this, though. Nation is going to rise against nation. Kingdom is going to rise against kingdom. There are going to be earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences. We know this is true because we're dealing with one right now. Fearful sights, great signs from heaven. They will lay hands on you. They're going to persecute you. So if you're watching, you know, Fox and 29 and um, I forget the other channel because I don't watch y'all that much at all. What is it news for? We already knew about you because God had already put it in his word. So Jesus said, they're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you into prisons. You're going to be brought before kings and rulers. Don't let this take you by surprise. You're going to be betrayed by parents, by brethren, people of like faith. And we have people supposedly true believers that want to turn on a man of God like Brother Spells. Brethren are going to betray brethren. Kinsfolks, friends, some of you are even going to be put to death. 
He had already revealed this in his word, but he said, don't be terrified because the end of the world has not yet come. And he, he gives more revelation there. But we can already see this being manifest right now. The world is in turmoil right now. There have been just recently, as of the past few days and, and maybe even the past one or two weeks, you've heard, if you've been paying attention to the news and you can see beyond just what they're reporting about COVID-19, tornadoes and twisters in Tennessee, in the southern states, to the point where it's shocking the scientists and, and those who read those things, those, the, the, the maps that they put up, to have a twister, two of them, come through the same path, be as wide as, I believe, 100 miles wide. Things that we, I mean, things have happened in the past, but my goodness, we were dealing with COVID-19 and we're having this on top of it. It's already been proclaimed in the word of God. Floods in Mississippi. We've got Iran harassing our naval ships. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And then we've got China with viruses and communisms. You see, the measure by which I live by has already told me these things. When it talks about the red horse and in the book of Revelations and it gives us insight, what's the color of China? It's red. Communism. China with the viruses, doctors disappearing because they don't want the truth to come out, skewing numbers. The world is in turmoil. It is chaos right now. It is mayhem. And we have people who are looking at their political party for direction and answers, the measure by which they're living. They're looking at the government to fix their financial bind. They're looking at the medical experts, experts, you say, and they're wrong. They've been wrong. We're looking retrospectively trying to figure out all the details, but my God has already given me some information, and he said these things are coming, but if you would just make sure to keep me at the forefront, I'll direct your every path. I will keep you. This world has perverted the measure by which we should live. The United States was founded on biblical principles. And you want to take pastors and put them into jail and let prisoners go, let murderers go, let child molesters go. And you want to tell me that's okay? In the eyes of the world, it's okay? To leave abortion clinics open and deem them as essential services. And you're going to shut up the church? Oh, no. I don't live my life by the measure of the world. You can't tell me what's right and what's wrong if it doesn't line up with the word of God. You can't tell me to shut up and not declare the name of Jesus. If my Bible tells me that I must do so, I must be pleasing to the eyes of God. It has to be everything.
the word. This book right here, it has to be the measure by which we live our lives. We have no excuse. If you are watching, if you are here and you hear this, no excuse. Take heed what you hear. It's up to you on how you pay attention and how you understand. Because the level at which you do that is the level by which you will be measured in the last days. Which we are in. So, I mean, judgment day. Isaiah chapter 28. We're going to read verse 10 and verse 13. But I'm going to give you some background information on this passage of scripture because I didn't realize, you know, Isaiah was, he was a powerful prophet. Some of these books in the Old Testament, I mean, they're not my favorite because they're, they're kind of difficult to read. So every time we get to, I think, Sister Massey, uh, Sister Armor Bearer likes to, uh, you know, she's taught on, I, I think, Ezekiel seven times, uh, several times. You know, that's just a confusing kind of confusing. I have to read it slow, and sometimes I'm like, I just need to get through this today, so let me go to, no, I'm just kidding, go to an easier passage of scripture and read that and be like, oh, I got my Bible reading done today. No, I'm just kidding. I'll repent. That's all call. Ezekiel, Isaiah, there's a song, if you used to listen to 1480, who used to listen to 1480 in gospel 1480? I don't listen to that. They used to do that song, Ezekiel saw the wheel, way up in the middle of the air, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Hated that song. It was horrible. So every time she would go to it, me and Hannah started singing, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Because we're so spiritual in service. Isaiah 28. But Isaiah was one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Powerful prophet. Powerful prophet. It was Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet that God used to give um, Hezekiah a word. Hezekiah when he was on his deathbed. This is the prophet we're talking about. So God spoke to him directly and God spoke to him in visions. And this is just, I just found this profound. So I'm just going to tell you, even though it doesn't really have anything to do with the, the, uh, the message today. Um, in verse 1, you know, God, we can't disqualify visions. Now, visions have to be supported by the word. Can't you? I mean, I can visualize a Hershey bar right now. That has nothing to do with God and the spirit. So some of us, we just be, you might be a dreamer. That just might be you. But not everything you dream and everything you see is of God. You need to back it up. My brother uh, Sickler taught on this. You know, sometimes all these gifts and stuff, they operate and you see things and make sure it lines up with the word. You can't just be coming up with something. You may have seen it, but it wasn't from God. Listen to this, this scripture here, Isaiah 2 and 1. The scripture reads, now, again, God spoke to Isaiah directly, but he also spoke to him in in visions. The verse reads, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. The word there, when you break it down, so There are two Greek words for word in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when I break down the word, word here, the word 
um, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. When I break down that word, word, you follow me? Okay. You break it down, it's essentially the same meaning as the Logos word. So the teachings, the sayings, um, what God has spoken. But it says the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. He saw the words of God. And when you break down saw, it means to have a vision of, behold and look, mentally perceive. So you can't disqualify people, especially if it's lining up with the word. God speaks to people in visions. I just want to throw that out there. Anyway, um, Isaiah chapter 28, verse uh, 10 and 13. We're going to read that, but let me give you some background on this. Isaiah was a prophet. God used him mightily. And it's in Isaiah chapter 6 that uh, Isaiah begins to um, uh, talk to the Lord. And it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, it goes on, and this is when Isaiah sees the Lord um, sitting on his throne. This is where you, if you recall the song that we sing in service, um, uh, the verse, or, um, uh, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. Uh, you are holy. Uh, that song, I, had, I don't remember the, all the words of it. But anyway, in the train of his robe. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, y'all, okay, in TV land. All right. So it's in this passage of scripture that I, all this is happening, right? Isaiah 6 and 5, he says, then said I, he sees this and he's like, woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone. Uh, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And they were unclean. Uh, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I'm not worthy of this. I- I'm not worthy. And a seraphim um, comes and it, with a living coil, it breaks down to a hot stone fresh from the altar. There's so much in that uh, we are not going to hit today, um, I think. But um, Isaiah then says, Jesus, or, or God, I'm sorry, because Jesus hadn't, was not, God hadn't been manifested in the flesh just yet. God is saying, I'm looking for a vessel to give a word. I'm looking for a vessel to give a word. And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And God begins to speak to him. God gives him word after word, prophecy after prophecy. And we get to Isaiah 28. So much prophecy has gone on before that. So many words have been given. And in Isaiah 28, that's where things come together for today. Isaiah 28. He's talking to um, the descendants of Ephraim. Ephraim was the second son of Joseph. Y'all remember that. Um, Joseph um, uh, is one of the sons that make up the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had two sons, and um, one of his sons was named Ephraim, and that was the second born, but he got the firstborn blessing. And so here Isaiah is, he's talking to the descendants of Ephraim, and he says to them, um, you know, they're messing up. Um, they are uh, uh, drinking a lot, okay? They've got wine. They've got strong drink. And when I try to, it's like, you know, sometimes you think, like, there's more deeper meaning to this. And you break it down, and it's like, no, it means wine and strong drink. So to the point, it wasn't just the descendants. Now, they knew better. Their heritage taught them better. 
they should not be acting like this. But it got so bad that even their priests and their prophets were corrupt. They began to err through wine and strong drink. They began to mislead the people. They began to transgress the law, stray aside. Their vision was an error. Their judgment was an error. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were not living the way that they should be living in order to have a clear sense of direction from God. And so God had to say, I don't see a vessel that is submitted to me in all of this, all these people, not even the priests and not even the prophets. So I've got to look for somebody else. And that's where Isaiah stepped into the picture. Send me, Lord. And the scripture gets down to Isaiah 28 and 10. Because remember, God is looking. He's looking for somebody. He's saying, man, there's none of these are, are doing what they're supposed to be. To be doing, verse 9, whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Looking for them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. Verse 10, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Whenever things are said twice in the word, it is a sure thing. It is established. There is nothing in this word that is a mistake. There's nothing in the scriptures that is a mistake. If it's in here, there is an intention for it. There is a purpose for it. So this precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. That's intentional. Line upon line. God is wanting to get their attention. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. But the Bible says that they would not hear. So when you break down precept, precept means an injunction. It means a commandment. It is put there for you to follow. It's a charge that's given to you. It's law in the eyes of God. It is an order that God expects for us to follow. We get to line. Remember, Brother Massey was hitting him, hold the line. Line breaks down into meaning accord. Accord, especially for measuring a cord that's meant to connect but also to measure a measuring cord for precept must be upon precept law upon law order upon order line upon line a measuring cord upon a measuring cord. Here a little and there a little, meaning I'll give it to you 
as you are able to take. So not all at once, but a little bit at a time as you are able to handle. And the scripture says that they would not hear. The very people that needed it would not hear the word of God. So then we get to verse 13, and it says, but the word, and you break down that word, word there, it, it breaks down into the same meaning as the Logos word. My teachings, my doctrines, my commandments, my sayings, but the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But verse 13 goes on to say that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. See, they would not hear. God was saying the word could be a strength to you if you would obey it and if you would do it law upon law. Measuring cord upon measuring cord. But that word does not change if you don't obey it. If you don't understand it. If you don't listen. It won't change. That word will still remain. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. And because you won't hear, then you'll go. Go has various definitions. It means you'll depart. Some people have walked away from this truth. You'll go. You'll let some things down. You'll go and get this. You'll even prosper. There is pleasure in sin but for a season, and it might be for some that their season is their life. And they're like, well, I feel good all the time, and I'm enjoying this, and really they're not. We all know that. There's pleasure in sin for a season. So the word of God is saying, my word doesn't change. It's still a measure by which you should live by. The law of the word hasn't changed. But you don't listen. What will happen is you'll go. You'll prosper. You might enjoy it. You might pursue some things. But in doing that, you're going to fall. You're going to fall backwards. You're going to totter and waver. You're going to falter. You're going to stumble when things come up. Sometimes people wonder, well, well, my, it seems like my faith is shaking. Well, was your faith where it should have been in the first place? You'll get overthrown backwards. You'll be left behind. You'll be left without, outside of the doors, knocking, asking for God to let you in. 
you'll be left behind this time in this life. You might be first. But the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you seek to save your soul or to have everything, but you lose your soul, is it really worth it? The Bible says that they might go and fall backwards and be broken. They'll be destroyed. They'll be crushed and ensnared and taken means to be captured. Judgment will fall. Judgment is going to fall. But the word of the Lord will remain precept upon precept, line upon line. It, it might seem a little hard today, but the truth is the truth in we need that sometimes because God sees our heart and he says, you know what? Some of you, you're selfish and you want to do your own thing and, and you, you see your life going this way and you have all these plans. So my word might have to offend you, but it'll be worth it if it saves your soul. I'll give you an example in Mark 10 and verse 5. You don't have to go there, but there's this example in the New Testament of the word precept being used. Now, it's within this context. And Jesus answered. He answered he's answering the Pharisees who are coming as usual to try to tempt them and, and get him to say something so they can trap him in his words. And, and Jesus answers the, the Pharisees' questions of, hey, isn't it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And, and, and Jesus asked, well, what did Moses command? And the Pharisees answered, well, they said, he said uh, Moses wrote to uh, write a bill of divorcement and put her away. And Jesus answered in verse 5, Mark chapter 10, and he he said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, for the hard-headedness of your heart, he wrote you this precept, this authoritative prescription. If you would but follow the word of God, everything would fall into place. And so he's saying it was put there, even though it might be a hard thing, it's put there for your good because I know the hardness of your heart. I know that there are some things that you want to do, and so I have to have my word as an authoritative prescription to lead, to guide, to discipline, to correct, if need be. Precept upon precept. The word is for our good. Those who might have a strong will, those who might have, have it set in their minds, this is what I'm going to do. God is saying, if it doesn't line up with my word, it'll be hard for you to hear. It'll be offensive. But if you would obey it, 
the cost of that sacrifice for eternity. There is no comparison. The word of God, it has to be a part of us. In the Old Testament, when Moses gave the command, it was a command direct from God. God wanted the Hebrews to bind the words for a sign upon their hand and as frontlets between their eyes because he wanted to nail home the point that his words have to be in their heart, has to be in their soul. It has to be the filter by which we see things. It has to be the filter by which we perceive. It has to be what guides what our hands do. If it doesn't line up with the word, it's not right, and we shouldn't be partaking of it, no matter what the cost is. But in order to do that, the word has got to become a part of us. If it's something that you're going to believe and you're going to to live by, it has to become a part of you. You've got to consume it. You've got to devour it. There are some who are wondering, how, how do I get the word in me? Do I just read it? It's not enough to just read the word. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word. That word breaks down. It's the Logos word. It also means plan. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. In verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, So the repentance that was taught on this morning, there has to be a complete change of heart. There has to be a complete turning away from a life without God to a life facing God, to a life walking towards God, to a life living what God has ordained to be right. You have to have true repentance But you can't just stop there. You have to be baptized in the only saving name that can save your soul, the name of Jesus. And after that, you will realize that the Spirit of God can come live on the inside of you. And that's evidenced by you speaking in tongues, speaking in a language you've never learned before. That's not naturally acquired. You see, it's not enough that we read this book, and it is a good book, but God has to reside on the inside of you and I in a way that he never has before. How can that be? God gave his disciples, he gave them revelation and said, hey, when I die, I'm sending the comforter. That means I'm going to die and I'm going to rise up again and I'm going to send my spirit so that I'm not just contained in one body, but I'm in all of you. But you have to receive me. You've got to receive the gift 
of the Holy Ghost. So if you're listening right now and you don't have the Holy Ghost or it's been a while since you've spoken in tongues, I implore you today, wake up the word that is in you. All you have to do is repent. Ask God for forgiveness of your sins. Tell him that you want to walk towards him and, and live for him like never before. And then God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. All you have to do is throw your hands up in the air and you begin to praise him and your tongue will change. The language will be different than anything you've ever spoken before. That's evidence of the Spirit of God residing on the inside. Then you can come to this church or any church that preaches truth and you ask them to baptize you in the name of Jesus. You've got to have those three steps. It's not worth anything to just do one of the three or two of the three. You've got to do it all. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Having the Spirit of God living on the inside of us will reveal all truth. There are some things you're not going to understand in this book unless you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. Romans 8 and 9 says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You've got to have it. The measure by which you should live has it become a part of you. When Peter got the revelation, our bishop spoke on this Easter Sunday. He said, when Peter was amongst everybody else with Jesus, and Jesus began to ask them, who do men say that I am? And out of all the disciples that were there, only Peter, only Peter had got the revelation of who Jesus was, that he was God, manifest, revealed, made known, shown in a physical body. Only Peter got that revelation. And Jesus turned to him and said, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. You see, they're one and the same. And there are some things that you might have questions on and, and you need to understand. And you're not going to get it unless you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you because it will reveal all truth. It will give you an understanding when you read his word and it will just make you fall in love deeper with him than you ever thought possible. I'm going to be closing, but my closing is kind of long, so don't get too happy. We Jacksons are known for that. Even Sister Hannah in her video, that's why I put, wait, I'm not done yet, hashtag first ending. I think it's important for me to finish this, so please bear with me. Must be the crying zone, you know. I guess Brother Massey has influenced this area.
um, the Bible says that the, the way that we fight in Ephesians 6, 10, the scripture says, and it's giving direction for us to be strong in the Lord. We're going to fight wars and principalities. We're going to fight powers and powers of darkness in high places. I'm misquoting some of that. We're going to fight some things, but we wrestle not in the flesh. We don't war with flesh and blood. We have the helmet of salvation. We have the shield of faith. It goes down and it, and it says that we have the sword, the spirit, which is the word. And Brother... I think Brother Seckler mentioned it this morning, talking about the sword. and Sword of the Spirit. The sword can be used by someone else to cut something off, or we can use it on ourselves. But a lot of times now, if there's an issue, the problem might be our sword is dull. It's not sharp. We're fighting with a dull sword. Now, if I'm going to go cut something, I'm not going to go, hey, give me the rustiest, dullest knife you got. Give me something sharp. I need to do some damage with just a flick. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with that. So, that was just an example. In Proverbs, there is a reference, and it's a principle, iron sharpens iron. A lot of times in the, well, in, from what I found in my research, there's a particular sword that was used a lot um, in biblical times, and it starts with a C, I think it's spelled C-H-E-R-E-B-H, something like that. The blade was made of iron. Iron sharpens iron. In order to sharpen our sword, whatever word you have in you, can only be sharpened by the word. The spirit living on the inside of you, if it's been dormant, you haven't spoken tongues in a while, sometimes we're like, oh, is that important? Yes, it's important. The Bible says it's so. Iron sharpens iron. How else are you going to sharpen your sword? How else are you going to fight with the sharp blade? If you don't pick it up and use it and exercise it by reading it, by declaring it, by praying about it, it has to become a part of you. Sometimes it's when you get something cut off, unless you're just some abnormal person that can't feel, it's usually not pleasant. Nobody ever goes, oh, I'm looking forward to going and getting this cut off. No. You're like, are you going to have medication? Are you going to, like, you know, numb it first? Even a wart. I've never had a wart taken off, I'm just saying. But even people who come in for that, they want, hey, do you have that, you know, that numbing spray? You got plenty of that, right? Just spray it on there for a while, and then you can cut it off. There is iniquity in all of us. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's perfect. There's iniquity in all of us. 
Isaiah said this, and he had every right to say it, because if you would recall, the seraphim came and he had a hot coal from the altar, and he touched his lips. And Isaiah, said, Isaiah had said, well, you know, woe is me, I'm, I'm unclean before that. And then the seraphim came, and remember, Jesus is our rock that breaks down into a hot stone, so it was fresh from the very throne room of God. And the Bible says that when it was laid upon his mouth and touched his lips, his iniquity was taken away. His sin was purged. We all have some form of evilness in all of us. Even those of us who are like, oh, they're just so quiet. You know, they say that about the first lady. Oh, she's so quiet. But silent can be violent. You don't know like I know what she, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the second? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There is, we were born with the sinful nature. And it's a part of us that if we allow it to just run rampant, the word iniquity in Isaiah 6 and 7 breaks down to perversity and moral evil, but it comes from a word meaning to crook. It will lead us astray. But when we let the hot stone of the word of God come and touch our lips, get into our spirit, it will take it away. Now, if you go to Matthew 24 and 12, I've got three passages to read and then we're done. Matthew 24 and 12. Oh, Jesus. We're getting there. Last page. 24 and 12 reads, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The love that used to be there, this agape love, this benevolent love, things being done for our good, and that we get it from God if we have his spirit, that same love, that agape love that God has towards us, doing anything for our good, working out anything thing for our good. If, even if it looks negative and it looks bad and this, some misfortune fell upon me, God will work it out for your good. We get that same love from God. But the love of that, the love of many shall wax cold because iniquity shall abound. It's going to be abundant. It's going to multiply. We see this today. Iniquity here means illegality. In other words, the violation of law, violation of the word of God. It's sin because sin shall abound, because violation of the word will abound. It will be abundant. It will increase the love of many shall wax cold. It will grow cold. And then we go to Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You know this. You don't even have to turn there. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Where do you find the will? In the word. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name? 
name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. This book has got to be everything. There should be no greater influence on how you live your life. It should guide your every footstep, every action that you take, every decision that you make. The influence of no other should come into play. I love my parents. Growing up, as kids do, you idolize your parents. You know, if, if dad didn't like it, I didn't like it. If dad liked it, I liked it. If dad wanted to go somewhere, oh, I want to go there too. And then you grow up and you realize, oh, my goodness, I actually don't like that. I don't know why he likes that car. Like, ew, he likes to eat that. Whereas a kid, you'd be like, oh, even to some that are adults, the influence that people have on us. And we will allow that to override the perfect word of God. Mom and dad can't save me. My sister can't save me. My career can't save me. The Savings I've put aside, they're going to fail. This is the last passage of scripture. I think, actually, I'm lying. We have two more. Hebrews 6, 16 through 19. The scripture says, I love this scripture. I love this scripture here has become such a consolation to me. And it's just talking about how the word of God is such a promise. The word of God in this book and the words that God has given you as a promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So if there's any question, if you get an oath, that's all you need. You'll put it in to that confusion, the doubt. Where in God, where in God, willing more abundantly to a far greater deal, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. And I would surmise that there are people watching, there are people here. God has made you some promises. We are heirs of a promise. We are heirs of the promises in this book. We're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Confirmed, confirmed it by an oath. 
that by two immutable things, the fact that he's given an oath in which it was impossible. Here's the second thing. It's impossible. It is not possible. God is unable to lie. He can't do it. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope before us. Lay hold upon that confidence that's before you. Which hope we have as an anchor. It will be something that will hold us fast and fix the soul. Both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. See, immutability means unchange. Cannot change. His counsel is his will. An oath is not just merely words into which a statement or promise is made. But it also means limits. It means restraints. God himself has a measure. And he's bound by his word. He's bound by it. So we can take refuge and hold on to the expectation and have all confidence that every word that is promised here is going to come to pass because God cannot lie. I don't know about you, but there's such a relief in my spirit that in a world where their measure is failing, when the medical experts don't have a clue and Everything they say, they say this, and then it changes, and they say this, and then they have the reason for it. we got to take studies and look back at the experts aren't quite so expert. In a world where their measure is unstable, it's not fixed, it changes, and it has failed. I can take confidence in this book. It's a promise. It won't change. It will come to pass. Everything that God has promised is going to come pass. There will be revival. There will be an abundance of souls. There will be elevation. But it won't happen for those who live by any other measure. God said, if you deny me, I will deny you. I am ending. and You can stand all over the building. We're just going to pray. You can stand or sit, actually. In Exodus 24, Moses had 
was dedicating the altar, and he, the scripture says he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And a lot of them said that. But as time went on, you can see some of them, many of them, they failed. This is not something to just, oh, it was good for that day. No, it's something you have to take home. You have to live this. It has to be everything to you. I had asked God if it wasn't his will for him not to bring it to my mind, and I won't say it, but he has. Um, I've kind of been caught up in the past few weeks in thinking of just the influence that people have on other people, and we allow them. And how people, when they live, they live it according to someone else's affirmation, like, their approval. And people are going to fail us. They're going to fail us. We're human. We're not God. It may not be intentional, but the people that say they love you the most, they'll fail you at some point in your life. You can't please everybody. You can't live for God based off of someone's approval that you're doing the will of God. You have to know the will of God for yourself. And there's influence. It's the people that are closest to us, and a lot of times they can be parents, and believe it or not, it can be kids. The thing that I hate the most, talking from my perspective, I would hate to disappoint my dad. Not talking about Bishop, talking about the role of him being my father. I would hate to disappoint him. I would hate to disappoint my mother. She tells me all the time I disappoint her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but to know that you've disappointed somebody that you, you look up to and you want to be like them. That's a hard thing to live with, much less to cut off that relationship. I can't imagine. But I will tell you this, and I don't believe it will happen. But if, if my dad, if my mother were to walk away from this truth, the cost of eternity for just having their approval and walking with them is not worth it. And it's so extreme, but it can happen in little bits where you won't even do what God has called you to do, and you know it's what God has called you to do because you're worried about getting words of disappointment and, and disapproval from someone you love. I know I know someone who I mean their child is everything. Everything. 
And if they say something that violates the word of God, because that influence is so strong, and, and they just, I mean, but that's my, that's my flesh and blood. They'll go along with it. Knowing what the word of God says. Nothing, nothing can come between you and God in this time that we are living in. It is not worth it. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But God said, my words will not pass away. And when it comes to judgment day, mom and dad aren't going to be standing there. Your kids aren't going to be standing there. Your career isn't going to be standing there. Your heroes and celebrities aren't going to be standing there. But God is going to be there with a book looking at your life. It has to be everything, everything. Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet. The beautiful thing about God is as much as you want to know, I want to reveal it to you. I want to tell you, but I can't do it when you're trying to get get a piece of me, but stay with the multitude. You you have to come with me alone. I got to be able to trust you with this. I am speaking for myself when I say this, Sister Kelsey had was preaching at me last night through text, and she had told me about Brother Tony Spells, and I stand behind that man. I stand behind him. God bless him for doing what he believes God has ordained him to do. We don't know his flock like he knows his flock, and I'd rather have a pastor like that, and we do, who's willing to take the criticism of the world. Persecution. Verbal persecution and now physical. Because he's not living his life by the measure of the world. He's living his life by the word. If you could bow your heads all over the building, we're going to pray. There needs to be an evaluation of where our spirit is at and where our soul is at. Is this truly everything to me? Am I willing to give up everything? It might cost me my life. Am I willing to give it up? 